Hey baddies. I'm Carly. And I'm Tab. And welcome back to Historically Bad. Welcome back. We're excited because our sound check took like five minutes. Minutes. We yeah. took way more time just like chatting and catching up than we did like actually doing the sound check. It's true, it's true. And yeah. it's cool because now we're like sitting closer together, which is really it feels fun. I feel like it's, we're having like a And we're not sitting party. on like some ratchet ass microphone to like keep it standing upright and yeah, all those things. We, and we don't have to deal with the fucking institution that kept fucking us over. Oh yeah. So fuck them. Fuck we're them. officially done. I'm never gonna go back to the library ever again. Mm, neither am I. <laughs> no. Chris High Five. Chris High Five. Um okay, this is great. I'm really excited. I'm just do really Do we excited have any here. housekeeping items? Anything you wanna bring up? Um, we do not have any housekeeping items. Um which is, which is too bad because we're going to record three episodes today, so if, yeah. we, so if we had housekeeping hours, we could split them between things. True. I have nothing else to say except for um, follow us on Instagram. Yeah, same routine things. Follow us on Instagram, follow us on Spotify, or whatever platform you choose to listen to us on. Um, follow us on Patreon, even you can do it the free version, and mm-hmm. we can send you, like, updates, and you can maybe get, like, some bonus content. Yeah, like, there's, we always, since we started Patreon, we've been posting a Patreon version. Yep. Sometimes it's just funny, silly shit, but, like, last week, there was a whole little bit of content that I put only on the Patreon version. Yeah. Where we talked about, like, like multiple bursts and stuff. I put that all on Patreon. You did. Yeah. So that's, like, that's, that's content, homies. That's content, homies. Yeah, you missed out. You missed out. And um, there's another Patreon benefit that we're going to launch today that we'll maybe save for later. We'll save for later, yeah. 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 Okay. Do you have any shoutouts? No. Okay. Shout out HBHQ. HBHQ. Maybe we'll think of some and we'll do it. I think we should shout out Ian just one more time. Oh yeah, Ian. Fucking saved our lives. I still am not over the fact that we have our own equipment, but. Literally, it's it's actually so fucking fun because we can just choose. We don't have to plan. Mm -mm. We can just be like, yo, let's do it today. Let's Mm -hmm. do it tomorrow. And the sound check is like absolutely award winning. So I'm in it to win it. Yeah, I feel way more comfortable already. Like, I feel happy. Me too. I'm glad. <laughs> hey, look at us. Yay! Look at that. Who knew? All right, let's get into it. Okay, so episode 13. 13! <laughs> oh my god, I did not prepare any Sophie shit, so I'm just gonna be, like, working on a fly. I just realized something. What'd you realize? We're recording three episodes and yours could have been the 13. <laughs> it's still good. Yeah, true, true, true. But I think it'll be good. 15 is a good number. You guys don't know what we're talking about. I'm not gonna tell you yet. But 15, <laughs> 15 is still a number that applies. Right, okay. And it will be good to break up, because this is gonna, it's gonna be, like, heavy, heavy, fun, heavy. Facts. Okay. Yeah, so it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Okay, cool. We're good with this. Okay. Okay, episode 13. <laughs> um, so we're sticking to it. Mm-hmm. Um, today we're gonna be talking about David Koresh and the Wacky Waco Siege. So, Wacky Waco. Wacky Waco. My dad is always, like, wacko, since he knows about this story. Like, he does not call it Waco, Texas. <laughs> And, like, there's some really, like, home and garden-based initiatives in Waco, um, okay. where they take homes and they, like, refurbish them, and, like, it's one of my dad's, like, favorite shows. Oh, So it's okay. really funny to me that he's, like, so invested in, like, this place that he also calls Waco. But That's anyways. So funny. Honestly, I shout out fam. Shout out fam, yeah. I've been listening to us right from day one. Seriously, and they, like, interact with you about it. They do, yeah. It's fucking awesome. It's true, it's true. I'm okay. obsessed with your whole family. Oh, that's so great. Okay. Shout out fam. Shout out Bam. Okay, so we're gonna get into it. Let's get into it. Should we just do it? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. I'm so hyped. I'm I, so excited for our whole evening. Yeah, I picked up Carly today and she was like really excited. <laughs> and I have been working from home and so I hadn't had that same energy level. So. <laughs> I gave her the car, I was like, it's true, but I, I loved was hyper. It. I had a I had a fun drink, like a pop. You did. It was cute. I loved yeah. it. Okay, so David Koresh was born Vernon Wayne Howell on August 17th, 1959 in Houston, Texas. So full sun changed his name. We got 
Full son changed his name. Nice kick. Yeah. <laughs> and he died on April 19th, 1993, at age 33 on a monumentous day in American history known as the Waco Siege, or the Waco Massacre, which was a deadly 51-day standoff against the FBI and the Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Oh, shit. It's fucking wild, dude. Can't wait, I have no idea what I'm getting myself into, because I had a different... I thought this was a different thing. Yeah, I'm excited. I love so much when you don't know my shit. Okay. <laughs> so here we are. Okay, so Koresh... I'm so good at not knowing shit. <laughs> me perfect. too, me too. Koresh was an American cult leader of the Branch Davidians, a religious sect that received national attention during the aforementioned deadly standoff, where Koresh believed himself to be a prophet... Here we go. Insert fucking profits. And he and his followers stockpiled weapons in anticipation of the apocalypse, which led them to be investigated on February 28th, 1993, with the Branch Davidian compound raided and the siege ended when the compound erupted in flames. So today's episode, as you know, is on David Koresh, the self-proclaimed messiah who looked not like that of a cult leader, but instead like an odd man in a band. (laughs) And his mesmerizing personality combined with knowledge of the Bible that allowed him to exert influence over people and gain quite a following to which he used for his own sexual desires, fucking shocking, and mounted his own army against what he claimed to be Armageddon. Okay. Okay, um, this was a request, this was a requested case. Was it? Yeah, let me check who did it. Shut I the just... fuck up! No way! Yeah, I, think I don't, I haven't even looked at those actually in a little while. Um, who requested it? Is this the same thing? No. No, no it's not. Okay, then I'm just talking full send out of my ass. <laughs> I thought it, it was. <laughs> nope. Different. Is that what you thought I was doing though? Nope. I don't know <clears throat> what the fuck I thought. Oh, no, Tab... This was not a requested case. You, I put, you it, on put it on the list. Yeah, I requested it for so myself. It was just, <laughs> I just, I was like, why do I know about this? You it's do, yeah. Because Tab put it on the list, which is where the, the case is going. And so Sorry, that, the motivation I do, my brother's going to be like, I'm a celebrity now, but um, I do have to admit, my brother makes fun of me a bit about the Branch Davidian stuff, which I'll bring up throughout the episode. So I guess technically, like, he was the motivation behind this, but I, I did request yeah, this. Yeah, we shout out Zach too much. Yeah, but he is a Patreon now, so. <laughs> he, 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 uh. He is someone who we should hire if ever we get. It's money. true. I think yeah. he would fucking. What does he love do it. like for a job? It. He'd be fucking oh. brilliant for us. Oh yeah, it's Wait, true. Can we use him for free for anything right now? He he literally has said to me he will not work for free. So god damn it. <laughs> I know it was it was worth a try though. Um, uh, would he work for very little? Um, like like for hugs? <laughs> is that what we could pay him right now? And I'm like honestly certain we still couldn't pay him that. No. <laughs> um, what was I going to bring up? That's why he's like so into the sound and shit is because mm. like when the quality's really good he just is like such an all things tech guy he notices so, well, yeah. that's good so he's already doing work for us for free because he, he gives yeah. us feedback on that it's true he does okay so I want to address a few things um first who in the fucking right mind decided to cast beautiful ass Taylor fucking Kitsch as David Koresh in the Waco movie do you know who Taylor Kitsch is? No, I thought you were going to say Taylor Swift, which is our first Swiftie reference. <laughs> Same name. Taylor Kitsch, Taylor Swift, Taylor basically. Taylor Kitsch. He's Canadian and he's so beautiful. He was in Friday Night Lights, I think. Friday Night Lights? He's fucking beautiful. Carly's in real time and is uh, looking it up. He he looks a bit like, if you're a Swiftie, he looks a bit like Taylor Swift in the man music video, where she looks like I a man. I thought you meant as a man. I was like, I'm not seeing that. It is as a man. In the man music video, oh. she, she, she does, like, she gets prosthetic face and stuff and looks like a man. Yeah, I don't think he's beautiful, but... Oh, I do. I strokes. absolutely do. But, anyways, he plays David Crush in, like, the Hollywood Waco remake, and it, like, 
makes me like him and I fucking hate that. Oh, just like, it's kind of like a Ted Bundy vibes where Zach yes. Ted Bundy? Yes, like how dare you cast that? Yeah, but that's the whole point. They're trying to, te- they're trying to make you, it's like, it's like you're supposed to reflect on whether or not you would have fallen for it. Because well, it's true because Ted Bundy, they did say, had like quite a female following and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so second, content warning, as always, so sexual assault of adults and minors, violence and abuse, so listen with care or don't listen. Okay. And then case sources, as always, so the book Inside the Cult, authored by Mark Brayalt, who was actually an ex-Davidian, okay? Oh, damn. Documentary Waco the Big Lie by Linda Thompson, the Waco film that Taylor Kitsch is in, David Koresh biography on biography.com, pbs.org, T- David Koresh. I almost said Taylor Kitsch. <laughs> Vox.com, The Waco Tragedy, The Biographics Video, David Koresh, The Life That Led to Waco, and last but not least, our little baby Wikipedia. Okay, so... Wikipedia. So, as always, in True Tab style, we're going to go through this chronologically today. So we're going to start with his early life, talk about David Koresh, and then we're going to get into, like, the 51-day Waco siege. Okay. So David Koresh came from an otherwise dysfunctional background. We know he was born Vernon Howell, so I'm, I'm going to call him Vernon until we get into when he actually legally changes his name. I like that. Okay. I'm glad you like that. I'm I like sorry. it. You don't need my approval. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to be approved. <laughs> um, vindicated. So David Koresh was born to his mother and father in Houston, and his mother's name was Bonnie Sue Clark. And it gets weird and gross already because she was 14 when she had Koresh. Mm. And his father, Bobby Wayne Howell... Probably we can guess he was not 14. How old was he? Was some 20 years old, and he was a, quote, drifter who, as you guessed it, left Bonnie shortly thereafter after another teenage girl caught his eye. Ugh. So, just into, into minors. Just a predator. Predator, yeah. So, Bonnie began cohabitating with a violent alcoholic thereafter, and they were married, and the union lasted only two years. These were, quote, torturous years for the infant Vernon, who later recalled these as miserable. After the union ended, Vernon's mother left with her boyfriend and placed this four-year-old son in care of his maternal grandmother, Earlene Clark. And at this time, Crush was described as a rather likable child who was on the odd occasion mischievous. He apparently was quite high energy and was actually given the name Sputnik for his endless amount of energy, and it was a bit of an homage to the Soviet satellite, which was, fun fact, the first man-made object orbit Earth. Oh, cool. So a little throwback to, like, Jack Parsons vibes. His mother returned when he was seven after her marriage to a carpenter named Roy Halderman, and Bonnie Sue and Halderman had a son together named Roger, who was born in 1966. So that was Vernon's brother. So he went back to live with them. Yes, went back to live with them. So, like, in and out, in and out kind of vibes. Vernon began to struggle immensely in school at this time, and unable to keep up, he was placed in a remedial class, or otherwise known as special education classes, and was nicknamed Vernie by his fellow students, or at the height of his bullying, was actually called Mr. Retardo. Oh. It was terrible, yeah. What year is this? 1960-ish vibes. Okay, so, like, still, still uh, bad. Still absolutely allowed to be said, yeah, which is Yeah, I was gonna up. say, that was, that's, that was, like, a time where people thought that that was a completely normal 100%, thing to say. 100%, totally. So years later, Vernon recalled the effect of this ostracism by saying, quote, I mean, you know, being labeled as here comes the retarded kids, it kind of stopped me in my tracks. So obviously this was like a very traumatizing time in his life. Mm. And so much of his struggles in school was later owed to his learning disabilities, such as dyslexia, which was not really given recognition at the time. It's interesting because I'm pretty certain Jack Parsons has had this as well. Interesting. And he also loved cults, but we'll get into it. Um, wonder if they wonder what that Venn diagram looks like. <laughs> yeah. And apparently Vernon was quite a bad stutterer as well. He also had poor study skills, partially caused by what they think was really extremely poor eyesight. 
so wasn't really good in school. Ironically, as with many gifted kids early in his age, he was actually not stupid at all, and Vernon had a knack for mechanics, and he would often dismantle gadgets and put them back with perfect precision. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) By the time he was a preteen, Vernon's love for mechanics morphed into a love for cars, and in a weird roundabout way, he also began to have a love for music. So, just the arts, I guess. Just his brain was not... Not the normal academic brain. Not the normal academic. Yeah, he had other skills. One day around this time, he found an abandoned guitar in a barn nearby, and he fixed up the guitar and began to teach himself music. Apparently, he was quite good at it, so he is pretty smart. Mm. Vernon had a few loves at this time, one also being religion. So him and his family were what's called Seventh-day Adventists. Mm. So this is an Adventist Protestant Christian denomination, which is distinguished by Observance Day of Saturday. And so, just a little... You, like, you, Observance Day, like, that's when they will go to church. Their holy day, yeah. Their holy day is Saturday, now it's Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I know literally nothing else about that. I know I just nothing know it's about, a Christian sect. I'm, yeah. learning, I'm learning about religion. Okay, me too. So his mother often had Vernon come to church with her, and one of the things with adherence to this religion was that he had to exist within the confines of this denomination. So what this meant was no affiliating with girls, abstaining from all things like sex, drug, and alcohol... And while he devoted himself to the Bible and religion, his friends spent their days partying. He became genuinely fucking obsessed with the religion and consumed his every waking minute watching religious movies, magazines, and books. Mm. So that was, like, his entire existence. What is the, like, what is the story, like, the, 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 the what is the God in it, this religion? Still, it's still, like, an Abrahamic normal. Christianity, Not Christ. Normal. that was fucking rude, but you know what I mean, like, <laughs> classic Christianity. It is a Christian sect, yeah, right. so still Christ, still God, that right. stuff. I just think, like, they obviously don't believe in things like the Holy Spirit and the Trinity and all that stuff. Right. I think that's much more Catholic. I, I don't think know. he was, my hot take, calling right now, he was... He was so invested in learning about religion because he wanted to see, like, how did they do it? How did they convince people that they were, like... It's a really like, good he point. He wanted the same power that these... How do you get had. so powerful? Yeah. He wanted to become a disciple. Yes. He was being talked to by God. Oh, stay tuned. Yeah. So by the age of 10, he apparently was able to recite such a large portion of the Bible to extreme detail and began hosting his own sermons. Ironically, one of the reasons he was so good at this and why he knew scripture in such detail was because in attempts to overcome his stutter, he would listen to sermons every day on the radio and recite them as a way to overcome this impediment. He would study and emulate the vocals of the speakers, noticing that as he did, his stutter would get immensely better and would actually go away. Aw, that's actually really wholesome. (laughs) I kind of love this guy right now. And then he's Taylor Kitsch, so it's like, fuck me, but anyways. (laughs) (laughs) However, devoted more to scripture than schoolwork, Koresh dropped out of Garland High School in his junior year, so he dropped out in the 10th grade at the age of 16, and at this time, he went for looking for, quote, spiritual guidance at the church-run Dallas Junior Academy, and by the age of 18, he found carpentry work in the town of Garland. I imagine this is still in Texas. Oh, cool. Shortly thereafter, he turned 19. <laughs> That's what happens after 18. <laughs> That's what happens after you're 18. Um, Vernon began an illegal sexual relationship with a girl that was 15 years old. And shortly after their relationship... <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So he's taking after his father. And Gross. shortly after their relationship commenced, she became pregnant teen pregnancy. Yeah. The girl's father was enraged with the situation and demanded that she break things off with Vernon. And of course, this didn't happen. And instead of abide, Koresh, aka Vernon, actually heeded this request, took the girl to his local Seventh-day Adventist church, and let them in on the situation. He said he felt he had a moral obligation to commit to the girl that he, quote, felt he was already married to in a biblical sense. When the elders of the church disagreed with him for many reasons, but many now quoting, you can call this relationship anything you want, but what you're doing is wrong, he began to use scripture, which, remember, he knew fluently, to make excuses for his actions and saying what he was doing aligned with the church. He began to become quite arrogant, loud, and violent, and they eventually asked him to leave the church. 
But it did kind of align with the church. In some ways, yeah. Because a lot of the time, like, a lot of, like, old... Underage shit, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. so, like, I mean, he aligned with the ancient church, like, probably it's not... It's interesting to me that they were like, yeah, no, you, this is still a wrong relationship. Like, they weren't just like, yeah, get married real quick, do it. Yeah, it's true. That's yeah. badass, actually. Good church. Good church. <laughs> Way to go, Seventh-day Adventist. Yeah. Um, so as far as I know, he was not granted with the opportunity to marry this underage girl, so he never legally married her. And later, as he was taught to do from his father, he actually turned his infatuation to another underage girl. Mm. So he was just like, all right, cool, peace. I don't really know exactly, like, the correlation of the events there, but... Like, he wasn't really actually just trying to do the right thing at all. No, he was he just... He just wanted to keep this child bride. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So, I'll point, point out here, I have no idea what happened to this poor pregnant girl, or if she actually carried the child to term or anything like that. Oh, like, there could be a total lineage of this man that yeah, we don't know about. we don't there. know about. Yeah, for sure. But Vernon had a new conquest. He became infatuated and obsessed with one of the pastor's daughters, so he didn't actually end up getting kicked out of the entire, like, congregation. It was just, like, this particular church. Oh, okay. Um... So he became obsessed with his pastor's daughter, and one day when praying for guidance for his sinful lusts, he allegedly opened his eyes, read from the Bible Isaiah 34, 16, none should want for her mate, and convinced that the pastor's daughter was a sign from God. Vernon told the pastor that God wanted him to have his daughter for his wife, who was 12 fucking years old. Yeah. And he's 20 at this point? 19 yeah. still. 20. 1920. Yeah. Completely and rightfully creeped out by this, the pastor demanded he leave, and when Vernon would not stop in his pursuit of his daughter, this led him to actually being finally expelled from the congregation. Completely expelled. Completely expelled from the seventh-day congregation. They're like, this guy needs he's to fuck He's a predator. Go. Yeah, he's a predator. So as a result of this situation, not only he, but his entire family were excommunicated from the church of the seventh-day Adventists, mm. and thoroughly disgusted with his institution, he began to look for alternatives because why would he use this moment as a self-reflection moment? He was like, fuck you, then I'll just go find my own church or create my own. I also like, okay, like, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, consequences, like, getting kicked out of the church. Right. But the entire family being excommunicated, like, I, I always find that being excommunicated from a church community is so fucking savage. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, the opposite of the fucking Values. Point. Yeah, like, you <laughs> yeah. should, if someone's struggling through something like that, like, even if they're being bad, mm-hmm. like, they're being bad, mm-hmm. The, the the good Christian thing, I think, would be to support and help and lift up. and like, I agree. And especially the family. Like, help the family. Yeah. Give them support because they're dealing with something. They're dealing with their son being basically a criminal. Like, Well, and his mom had, like, obviously a traumatic go of things. Like, yeah. she's pregnant at 15. Her, her yeah, like, partner leaves her. And then she gets in a really abusive, abusive relationship. Relation. And, like, maybe she sought out the church to, like, have some sort of... Yeah. Like, what ha- what good is going to happen to that family if you just excommunicate them? Like, don't give him access to young girls. Yeah. But, but like, I think it would do more good to help and support and teach and keep loving and... I think so, too. I think hugely the church is... And I'm not throwing shade, but I think hugely the church is, like, way too wrapped up in reputation. Yeah, because recruitment. Recruitment. They they always want to have a good image and no blemishes. Yes, and and that's what's ironic about it is, like, it's supposed to be some sort of, like, safe haven for people to seek rehabilitation and have a relationship with God and whatever. But I do think that they're more involved with, we can't be associated with this person because then that will prevent, like... And then it becomes elitist, too. Oh, big time. Big time. For sure. It's the... The system is broken. Or this one is broken. Maybe not the entire religion. That was a fucking bold statement. (laughs) I have a lot of family... I have a lot of people I love very dearly that... But I do think so, yeah. I think it's, like, a moment of reflection, for sure, of do we just, like, give up on people? 
that easily kind of yeah. thing. Especially yeah. people that are, like, tangentially involved in this situation. Like, his yeah. parents obviously need to fucking parent their kid. Yeah. But at the same... I mean, he's 20, so... Yeah, but they obviously need help doing it. They obviously need help doing it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, I digress. We digress. My fault. <laughs> we digressed. Um, so he found the seven-day Adventist adjacent group, so otherwise called an offshoot of, like, an offshoot of an offshoot kind of thing, okay. of the OG Adventists, called the Branch Davidians, which were based out of Waco, Texas. This religious sect was originally found in 1929 by a Bulgarian-American immigrant called Victor Hutef. I think I might be saying that wrong, so my apologies. The Branch Davidians was originally called the Shepherd's Rod and was set up in Waco, Texas, and the big claim to fame was that the Branch Davidians felt the apocalypse was going to occur in 1959. When it obviously didn't occur, a group broke away under leadership of a man named Benjamin Roden. He rebranded this group to be called the Branch Davidians, so recall it was the Shepherd's Rod at this time, in an allusion to an anointed restoration of the Davidic Kingdom of Israel. Okay, so he's like, ooh, Branch Davidians. Mm, this, well, I'm gonna see what the fuck's up. Right, maybe they will accept my predator ways. Yeah, yeah, and turns out they do. They do. So, in 1978, uh, Benjamin Rodin died, and his wife, Lois Rodin, assumed leadership over the Branch Davidians. This fuck was, yeah! Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <this> was, yeah! <laughs> so this was shortly before Vernon arrived at the compound of the Davidians in 1980 at the age of 22. How will... Vernon Howell, later known as David Koresh, had long flowing hair, charisma, and a self-selling personality. He appeared to be extremely spiritual, led a life of discipline, which he fucking didn't because he was already like into statutory rape, basically. Yeah. Um, and he stated he lived along a straight strict moral code and called himself a quote chief amongst sinners. Just fucking bullshit. <laughs> He turned up with his guitar and Chief among sinners. Yeah. He's the really man strict who's except for the sins that he does and leads. Exactly. And like, yeah, I digress. So he turned up with his guitar with a desire to te- to reach young people with a message of the Lord. Lois Roden, so leader of the Branch of Idians, by right. some miracle was immediately taken with Vernon and invited him to live in the compound. Oh shoot. Before long, the two became romantically involved, mm. which was somewhat surprising seeing as he was not only a predator of the young, but of the aging as well, because Lois at the time was in her 60s. Ugh. Yeah. Why? What is what is so bad about an age-appropriate relationship? I'm honestly... Like, 22-year-olds would be completely... Because he probably wants to have a relationship insofar as he can fucking exert power over them. I was just going to say, he, like... He, first of all, yeah, facts. There's two things that happen with older people and younger people. Alike yeah, they're vulnerable populations. Powerful. Yeah. But also, in this case, he's seeking power in terms of, like, taking over the fucking church, probably. Yeah, yeah two things, definitely. Two things. For sure. Things Strategic can be two things or whatever you say. <laughs> Stuff can be two things. Stuff uh, can be two Jake things, Jake yeah. Peralta. Yeah, <laughs> Jake Peralta, um, who looks like my husband, who is also named Jake. <laughs> does look like your husband. He gets that all the time, yeah. Uh, I've never, I've never one time thought about that ever. Yeah, he looks so much like Andy Samberg, which I'm into it, because fuck yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's why he's your husband. That's why he's my husband, yeah. So with this romantic relationship, Lois, of course, started to help Vernon get a growing prominence as a teacher at the compound, giving him time to expound his interpretations to the congregation. Mm-hmm. His teaching style, however, was different, to say the least, um, than anything the congregation was used to, as he would proselytize in jeans and a t-shirt and would use imagery that was apparently startling and jarring. What's prophesize? Proselytizing is like when you give like a sermon. Oh, like prophetize. Yes. Like prof- give profit. Like be a prophet. Yes, you got it. I have, I think it's proselytizing. Proselytize. Yeah, I just have so many spells. I'm never going to say that again. Script. You keep saying it. I'm never going <laughs> to. It's hard. It's too hard. Um, so on occasion, he apparently likened sin to, quote, snot on a person's finger that you simply just can't get off. 
So he was just, like, he had a very weird way of, like, using metaphors, and he was just, like, creepy. He, like, could, there was, there was something deeply fucked up in this man that he was, like, maybe, maybe, maybe trying to fight. <laughs> maybe. But also just accepted it as something that is a part of him. Yeah, and we'll find out that he... I can't wait to see what he does. He really I mean, I can, like, I hope, I mean, I can wait, but I also can't. <laughs> Edge of my seat. And above all, he acknowledged himself at this point as a weak and a sinner, which is very strange because before he was this, like, chief, all high and mighty, I don't sin, and I guess right. he came to realize, no, I need, I also need help. I also need God. Right. Anyways, trying to be relatable, maybe. Trying to be relatable, yeah. Which is, hence the jeans and t-shirt thing. Mm. So Vernon's natural charisma and unkempt looks and deep knowledge of scripture were an interesting mix. He purposefully positioned himself in the light of Jesus, saying he was the last prophet of this known religion. So here we go, he's a fucking prophet. Mm. So little throwback mm-hmm. to Rasputin here, Jack Parsons, all this stuff. And it wasn't long before Vernon began to proclaim that he had the gift of sight and prophecy. Mm-hmm. Just fucking familiar. Because he learned yeah. from history that you can do that. That shit. as a man, if you just claim that Jesus is speaking to you, or not Jesus, that God is speaking to you, yeah. that you are a prophet of God, yeah. people will believe, believe you. you. Yeah. And then you can tell them whatever the fuck you want yeah. and get away with it. That's so true, yeah. Yo, prophets, no good. Yeah. Yeah, so this, of course, gave him more clout in the cult Branch Davidians. And so a few months later, after he was living at the compound, Lois made the bombshell announcement that she was pregnant with his child. Remember, she's in her fucking 60s. I was gonna say, honestly, like... Fertile. That's wild, yeah. Fertilize. Fertile as fuck. Fertile as fuck. And I literally have in my quote this as well, because bitch ain't young. But that was a little mean. Bitch ain't young! (laughs) (laughs) I would like to see your unfiltered script. (laughs) Give it to us, that's hilarious. Um, She made sure to tell people this was all part of God's arrangement. However, unfortunately, she did go on a miscarry. But this relationship was not all to waste, as Vernon was named the heir of the Branch Davidians and her supplanter successor, and the leader of the Branch Davidian sect. Okay, so he accomplished his goal. He accomplished his goal, yeah. Many people of the congregation were in agreement of Vernon as their successor, except one, Lois's biological son, George. George viewed Vernon oh, as... shit. Yeah. He's the heir. He's like, fuck this shit. This guy just comes in and, like, two weeks later he gets us. Yeah. George viewed Vernon as a dangerous manipulator who, mm-hmm. th- through sexual favors and the like, manipulated Lois into his good graces and was now poised to take over the throne, so to speak, that was rightfully George's to inherit, which is not totally wrong. That's 100% what happened. Yeah, but we'll find out George is just as fucking crazy. George is back. I mean, it's a bad throne. It's a bad throne, It's yeah. not a good throne anyone should have. <laughs> it's so true. So over the next three years, a power struggle played out between the two, and this resulted in the congregation being split into two. In 1984, tensions came to a peak when armed supporters of George demanded at gunpoint that Vernon and his some 25 followers at the time leave the compound known as Mount Carmel. So that's where, like, the branch divided. Carmel? Carmel, yeah. (laughs) It's not caramel. It's, like, C-A-R-M-E-L. Carmel. Oh, caramel. But still, sounds delicious. Like how some people say caramel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So for the next two years, this group of Vernon's followers was placed in Palestine, Texas, some 90 miles from Waco. They lived in buses and tents and were virtually homeless. So he did leave, and he was like, I, I don't want any trouble. We have to Shit's leave. Yeah. yeah. During this time, Vernon did not lose hope, however, and used it to build up his base of followers. And by somehow, in some way, whether it was through his music, his looks, or his charismatic personality, he was actually able to attract followers far and wide. Mm. Apparently, like, globally. Oh, shit. I don't fucking know how. Fast forward to 1985, Vernon traveled to Israel with another pregnant wife. This one named Rachel Jones, a member of the Branch Davidian congregation. How old is she? I actually tried to find out, and I don't know. Okay. But I'm, we could probably I safely think we could assume. Guess it's probably not age appropriate. <laughs> no. <laughs> so while he was in the Holy Land, he became convinced that he was the modern day incarnation of King Cyrus of Persia, the founder of the Persian Empire. 
So he was like, this dude's reincarnated into me. I'm fucking king of Persia. This is who I am. <laughs> I have no fucking clue why. I'm a prophet and a king. <laughs> I'm a prophet and a king of modern day Iran now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fuck. He claimed that in his revelation and prophecy, he was tasked with opening the seven seals of the book of Revelation and proclaiming them for all of the world. Mm. So book of Revelation is like, I don't know if you've like dabbled or anything like that, but it's dark. I have absolutely not dabbled. <laughs> it's dark as fuck. Let's just put it that way. It's scary. It's, yeah, it's... I, I remember, like, back when I was a child, I did, I did like, dabble. Mm-hmm. And I never read that part because I was, like, so many scared. Mostly, I think most Catholic and or Christian denominations, like, don't want people to read it. Because I think it's, like, a fucking dark part of history. Yeah. Like, it's not advert. Excuse me. It's not... <laughs> I just lost my voice. It's not advertised, so to speak, if you know what, what I mean. What happens in it? I don't know. I think it's just, like, evil and death and the end of the world type shit. Okay, like, yeah. this is when the, this is the world, how the world ends. The most evil parts of humanity, I think, yeah. Mm. So when Lucky Happenstance, back at Mount Carmel around this time, George Roden was acting increasingly erratically, which led him to lose followers that were in decline rapidly. Many in the compound were supporters of Vernon and longed for his return. So in 1996, Lois Roden died, and George, losing followers, support and clout, was determined to eliminate the threat of Vernon Howell, and this threat that he posed to George's leadership. So one day, he called up Juan Vernon and challenged him to what he called a, quote, resurrection competition. What the fuck are they fighting over, though? Like, what is the fucking... So like, the Branch Davidians, like, I think had quite a large following, and they so all they lived like, in this fucking compound, and, and it was, like, and a kingdom. probably in charge of all the money. Like, I'm oh. sure there's money. You know how, like, all cults are, like, people work... And it's corrupt? And then the leader gets all the money. Yeah, and we'll get into that for sure. Okay, okay, and I okay, think okay, it's okay. just, like, the Branch Davidians... I, I'm not even... I'm certain it's still something that exists today. But, um, it's, a, like, hundreds of followers, and you get, like, it's, like, this fucking compound, and it's housing, and it's right. power, and, and it's, it's... And it's several young child brides. Several young child brides, and it's... Yeah. And it's a corruption. Yeah, yeah. For sure. So, what the fuck is a resurrection competition? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so, no, no, all good. They decided that the man that could successfully raise a dead person... <laughs> would be the rightful leader of the Branch Davidian. So they were like, first person to fucking be able to resurrect a dead guy wins. <laughs> and so to provide context, in order to have this goal met, George, clearly psychotic at the time, had a body exhumed, stating he brought them back to from the dead. Yeah, fucking weird. But were they alive? No. They. I think he like made it seem and look as if they were they had been brought back to life, yes. Fucking creepy. So fucking creepy. So he just like digs up a dead body... And, like, makes it look fucking legit. eyes open or something? <laughs> I have no this idea. Is like, this is a side note, but there was a really a big bad serial killer, maybe we'll cover, who, 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 who staged a ransom note. Okay. With a dead body. Okay. And he, he did that. He sewed her eyes open. Okay, so maybe. It's fucking, actually, that's horrific. That, that was maybe not covered in the trigger warnings, maybe. <laughs> 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 like, no. What I just said was fucking terrible. I did put, like, graphics. So we just made her seem alive. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure okay. the fucking details right, right. But of it that. was a dead body that he was like. Yeah, and he was like, put, I like, did it. Maybe like I put won. like um, puppet strings on to make the move. Maybe I don't fucking it's know. Fucking I probably I don't know if we want to know. No, we don't want to know. So Vernon heard about this and went directly to the authorities to complain that George had been tampering with a dead body. Which fucking fair enough. Yeah. Vernon was met with resistance. I suspect knowing through the grapevine that he and his followers were odd to say the least. So they were like, "Shut the fuck up! This didn't happen." Mm-hmm. And they said, without photographic evidence, this could not be investigated and charges could not be laid on George. However, this was a challenge-accepted sort of moment for Vernon, where he led seven armed supporters into Mount Carmel, 
However, before they could find the exhumed body and gain photographic evidence, they were discovered by George's followers and a violent gunfight broke out. (laughs) In this battle, George was wounded and the authorities getting wind of this arrested Vernon and his followers. They were put on trial for attempted murder and were somehow later acquitted of all charges. So, Probably because they didn't know who did it or who like, who exactly did the thing. I don't know what the fuck's up. Like, they're digging up dead bodies. They have a gunfight. One dude goes to jail, and then he's later like, I ate my bad, and he gets out. I That's fine. <laughs> so Vernon headed back to Texas, and George back to Mount Carmel, which is in Waco, mm-hmm. Texas, was still losing followers. He was described as becoming even more irrational, and one day at Mount Carmel, one of the Branch Davidians challenged George, claiming they they were, in fact, the Messiah. Mm-hmm. This led to George brutally attacking this individual and killing them with an axe. <laughs> yeah, fucking... No, George! George is crazy, too! Like, he's digging up... George is unwell! This fucking religion. Anyways, I digress. This is wild. It's wild. So this was the last straw for George, where he was institutionalized and placed in a care for the criminally insane, as he should have been. Yeah. And enter David Crush. So, with George and his followers... I was just gonna say, I thought we were just gonna deep dive into George all the time. <laughs> George got taken care of. George is fine George now. got taken care of. He's fucking... He's... Yeah, under yeah. lock and key, so to speak. So David Koresh, with George and his followers now firmly out of the way, he was free to take the land back at Mount Carmel. He was not. He was now the undisputed leader of the Branch Davidians, and not long after his return did he have his name legally changed to David Koresh. So we can figure out why he chose David, because Branch Davidians, David, Davidic, okay, yeah. Davidic kingdom. Clever, clever. Yeah, seeing as he was self-indulgent enough to think he was a prophet among them, so... Why did he choose Koresh, however? So, Koresh is the Hebrew name for Cyrus, the Persian Empire king guy that David thought he was the modern-day incarnation right, of. Right, that he claimed he was the... He yes. Was, yeah. So, he's like, I am the Branch Davidian leader, incarnation, King Cyrus, a.k.a. Koresh. Right. Yeah, okay. Just several things. Just several things. <laughs> I am a king, I am a prophet, I am the Branch Davidian motherfucker. Uh, I wear many hats. Yeah, he, he was aware <laughs> of many hats. <laughs> So, with his new name came the thought that he was more than a prophet, he was a modern-day messiah. People started to genuinely believe that his words were of divine origin and that he was touched by the hand of God. By the early 90s, David Koresh was a 33-year-old self-proclaimed messiah. (laughs) Sorry, I'm dying at, like, how fucked up my script is. (laughs) Okay, I'm gonna probably leave this in, so I'm just gonna say, I, I had no time to write this script, so I was texting yeah. Carly, writing it on the treadmill, and there's, like, yeah. an atrocious amount of spelling errors. <laughs> but then nobody sees your script except for you, so as long as you can read it. But, but you, I can't. But you can't. <laughs> so by the early 90s, David Koresh was a 33-year-old self-proclaimed messiah with a young wife and two children, and he astonish- astonishingly <laughs> presided over more than 100 adherents known as the Branch Davidians that lived in one single very large compound. Okay. Koresh perfected the use of music and proselytizing that mm-hmm. it was said that his sermons could last somewhere between all day and even all night, known as, quote, marathon sermons. <laughs> and instead of most people losing interest in something that lasted this long, the Branch Davidians were loyal to their leader and hung on to literally every word he said as if it contained keys to life and the afterlife. So they would, like, stay up all night listening to this guy just fucking speak. You know what? I was just thinking of reflection on that. I was like, that's ridiculous. And then I was like, honestly, if Taylor should post an event and she was like, I'm going to talk for, like, 12 hours straight, I'd be like, yeah, sign me the fuck up. <laughs> and this is why John thinks it's a cult. Right? <laughs> it's a cult. I would die to that. I would, I would camp for days. I know. I totally believe you would. Wow. So, as we all guessed, especially those that listened to the Rasputin episode, Kresh began to use his position as the deliverer of God's will to announce decrees that were increasingly to his own personal advantage. Oh, yeah. Shocker. Yeah. One of the most controversial was that any woman 
no matter the age or stage of life, had to be available to bring him sexual pleasure, and this included all of the married women, and also underage. As you can suspect, for a man with delusions of grandeur, and as Carly mentioned, the Venn diagram of profit to creep is sometimes overlapping. Oh, it is a circle, Tab. It is is absolutely a circle. This included women as young as 12 years old. That's fucking disgusting. Disgusting. These women were meant to believe that giving themselves over to God in the form of Koresh was the greatest privilege and a great sacrifice to the religion. Also, if it wasn't enough that he got to have all these women and girls to himself, the men at Mount Carmel were to take an oath of celibacy, even the ones who were married, because they were made to believe that the only seed that was holy came from that of Koresh. So he's like, every single one of you, I don't give a shit what your relationship is now. It ends today. I'm the only one that's allowed to I bring. get all your wives. I get all the children. Yeah. I get all the single adults. And none of you can spread your seed. <laughs> yeah. He's like going back. This is like, um, um, like monkeys. Yeah. Like he's, he's making a society in which he is the sole provider of progeny. Yeah. So that he can like control them yeah like he's yeah yeah, like he's trying to win and have several like he's trying to like succeed yeah i agree but like it's like a it's like a breeding strategy Uh is what i'm getting at is like he's he's just trying to make sure that he has the maximum amount of offspring so as you said that literally the segue in my script is the large majority of children on the complex were his biologically oh yeah so yeah he's making a cult of his own children he 100 percent is because who's more loyal to you than someone who you like can guilt because they're your child. And also, you get to now control them literally legally. Oh. Up to a certain fuck. age. Fuck! So it's like... I didn't even think about that. He is their parent and guardian now. Yeah. So it's like, whatever they say is his he choice He just pull now. them out of school and make them work for him, and he makes a bunch more yeah. money. He's making, like, and a like, little And, like, what population. the fuck is the state gonna do about it? Nothing. Nothing. No. You they can't didn't do anything. anything. They couldn't do anything. It's in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. It's yep. fucking terrible. Yeah. So for context, at the time of his death, he wait, had... Wait, wait, wait. Sorry. You know how last week we were talking about how, like, um, like the quintuplets were taken from their parents? Yeah, it's true. So, stake, do something then. Yeah, if they're Canada fucking interestingly whatever, enough and can make them money, the stake gets fucking involved for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's like what I was talking about when I said that there's a lot of biological parents that I think should lose the right to their kids, and they don't. Branch Davidian man. Branch Davidian man. Or, like... Yeah, anyways, the state yeah. gets involved when it's in the interest of this fucking state. Yeah, when they can exploit them for when their When they can money. exploit them. And I, I don't mean always. I'm sure they still do the right thing, but... Right. They don't. They don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, like, no, they don't. This is just a little bit of a, like, a future thing, but at the time of his death, he had 15 children, and those were just the ones he knew of. So he was like baby daddy for shop. Mm, for yeah, shop. he probably had more. He probably had more. So while most of the Davidians accepted his lifestyle choice as the will of God, some dissenters left the church because of it, rightfully so. Oddly, most of those that left were Australian, and when they left to the land down under, they went to the American embassy to complain about child abuse and charges were laid against Koresh. Oh, good. So good news to us, some American defectors also got one of this and did the same pressing charges in the United States, so they could actually now investigate him. Oh, great. In response to the allegations, Child Protective Services sent agents to Mount Carmel to investigate the compound. Their specific brief was to assess the validity of the accusations that children were not being sexually assaulted, but rather that they had access to automatic firearms. Yes, they were, they were naughty. Carly, I wish you could see Carly's face. It's so like fucking an absolute face of distaste. But so yes, that it's not that, oh, he's now molesting yeah, underage not, fucking girls. It's that they they're might... They're breaking the law. They might have... A bunch of weapons, and the kids might have access to them. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Koresh obliged and showed that the firearms were under lock and key, and what happens next is even more wild. Can you guess it? 
Part two, bitches! So, boop, 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 boop. so you're gonna have to tune in when next week. When you said that, I was like, I honestly don't know. <laughs> I, like, forgot. <laughs> so, we decided to do a two-part episode on David Crush because... Yes, there's so much to unpack. There's so much to unpack. We're like, going, we didn't even get into that whole the literal thing you teased at the beginning of the fucking episode. We, are, we have so much to talk about. We have so much to talk about David Crush. We have mm. so much to talk about the Waco siege. Yeah. It is a story in and of itself. And unfortunately for you folks, we decided to make this two-part episode because otherwise it would be... Way too long. Way too long. So, that's why, when Carly mentioned at the start of the episode, that we have three episodes to record today, because one of them is the second part mm-hmm. of the David Koresh episode, so... Yeah, but if you want to listen to part two right now... Yeah. Then Become you a Patreon. join our Patreon. <laughs> you can join our Patreon. Suckers! Suckers! Just kidding. But, well, we're kidding about you being suckers, but we're not kidding about it being on Patreon only, so yeah. this is one of our new Patreon perks whenever we have a two-part episode, which... Will happen occasionally whenever we cover huge cases. Right. Yeah. Um, it'll always be available the same week for Patreon, but yeah. the regular bitches, the the basic bitches have to wait. The basic bitches have to wait. And so yes, if you want to know what the fuck's up at Mount Carmel, what the fuck this fifty one day siege is, yeah. and what kind of wackiness happens there right away and yeah. not wait a week, you unfortunately have to become a Patreon. Yeah, go subscribe as a Patreon and then you'll get access immediately. So you'll if you're listening to this on Tuesday or Wednesday but you can't wait till the next Monday, then you can listen, you can go on Patreon and get it right away. And I did make, I did debate of where to cut it and I felt like I needed to cut it without giving much details to be like, you oh, unfortunately like, have to go to the second episode. Yeah, I love it. I <laughs> or not subscribe it. for the second episode. I'm reading it all up. Yes. I love it. Okay, so that's the first that's first part of just a little bit of an in, a prelude, so to speak, to mm-hmm. David Crush, Mount Carmel, Branch Davidians, and creepy fucking weirdo that uh, we're that's fucked on. That it, leads to like one of the biggest sieges in American history of all time. That that is already enough fuckery for it's definitely fuckery. Yeah, it's yeah. so fucked up. Yeah, yeah. So that that's part one, guys. Um, <laughs> I do think that we should investigate the prophet to um, criminal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Venn diagram. Oh, I'm sure there's a massive correlation there. I don't think there's any one prophet in all of history that has come out and not been a fucking predator. <laughs> well, think about, like, three of my episodes already have been people that have said that they are a prophet, and then yeah. have just been very creepy people. They just want to have sex with underage girls. I swear, like, you can create... We have a whole podcast based on just creepy prophets, basically. Yeah, we, people, when we first started this podcast, remember, like, John especially, but other people were like, How are you, what if you run out of content? Like, we not possible. That. There's no way. We could have an entire podcast just on cult prophets. It's true. And every single one of our episodes, I we have struggled to not make... Oh my god, I just burped. <laughs> 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 to not make into a two-part episode. Yeah, 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 because, yeah. And yeah. then we have to condense it, and yep. it's like... Because there's so much content there, for yeah, sure. Yeah, there's too much. There's, there's, too there's much. so much fuckery. There's so much fuckery, yeah. Then we have to split into two. I'm so excited. Well, yeah. Next, I would honestly say part two is like ten times wackier. So. Wackier. It gets, just gets better. Just gets better, I'm so yeah. excited to have a part two um, with our Patreon, because I, I'm so excited for the Patreons to just like listen right away. Yeah, totally. And they don't have to wait. They don't have to wait, yeah. For but sure. you do. I'd say part one is definitely a teaser, for sure. So oh, oh, it's just gonna get worse. Just gonna get worse. Okay, well, yeah. I'm gonna get another glass of wine. We're gonna continue the recording right now. We're gonna continue to give you part yeah. two Patreons and part one real regular baddies who we still oh, love yeah. very much dearly. Yeah. Okay, so we'll see you. Well, that's it then. That's <laughs> we'll see you in part two. We'll see you next week on Historically Bad. See you next week on Historically Bad. Fuck yeah! I, I wonder. I baddies. do think that we should. Um, investigate. I do think that...
age 33 on a monumus, monumentous... I'm saying that again. Mm-hmm. At age 30... <laughs> um, as I mentioned, just kidding. Fucking cut that out. 